Abba Yahweh, again, you've given me the opportunity in this new day, breath in my lungs. Bring me up to this day, this day that you know what is coming, you know what's here. Guide me, teach me, share with me, Father God, your truth, your knowledge, your wisdom, so that I can share that with anyone who will hear this message and listen to your words, Father God, and go to your word and seek your face. Seek your truth, seek your knowledge, seek your wisdom. The deception of man and mammon is rampant, Father God. Guide us through this. Help those of us that have chosen to be yours, chosen to accept that Jesus Christ died for us, chosen to have faith in you, Father God, and have chosen to have the Holy Spirit guide our steps. And that, Father, those that are making a claim but are unsure, guide them. Tug on their hearts, Father God. Bring them. Bring them. For it is your salvation, your grace, your mercy, Father God. Abba Yahweh Aman. Yeshua Aman. Parkletos Aman. So I'm going to touch briefly. You heard me how I said that. Is that any minister, pastor, shepherd, angel, whatever, however you want to call the person, but that is the the elder of the church, the pastor, the speaker, the primary, just like our, we have a tendency to term ours. We call him the lead pastor. We have our executive pastor, kind of oversees all sorts of things so that Jamie doesn't have to run around and do those. He's, I mean, he does things that he's supposed to be doing. But there are those in the world, and this this is, a, I just got my answer. I was trying to, I, I just talking to God and the Holy Spirit to guide, and I was wondering why I opened up to Ezekiel and answers there. So, um, They have many titles. John called them the angels of the church, um, and he wrote letters. And in certain cultures, in certain parts of the world, that's what they called the pastor of the church, the angel of the church. And Jesus, in coming to visit John on the island of Patmos, had him write his letters to the angels of the churches. And he had... um, the first chapters of Revelation. Again, I got to touch on this because people get all sort of, they they do this thing called spazzing out. Um, they get really agitated and upset. And these are some of these people, unfortunately, are even, uh, they call themselves Christians and yet they won't read the book of Revelation and other books of the Bible because they're, uh, they're what they call doom and gloom. Well, only if you look at it from the negative perspective and you look at this place, this plane of existence as being your home. And I've shared the quote with you before from Billy Graham. This is not my home. I'm just passing through. I don't call this my home. This is not my home. My I'm homesick for my home and that's heaven. And I've grown more and more that way because the spirit of the Lord is coming and indwelling and I'm, I'm 
asking him to come in more and more and more. I want to go deeper in a relationship. I want it uh, even more personal than what I've made it. And these people that don't, uh, that call this their home and they talk about all that doom and gloom from the Bible. Wait a second, let's back up here and first clarify everything. You claim to be a Christian. You say that you accept that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God. And you say you have faith in God and the Holy Spirit to guide your steps. So you say. However, in declaration, you are saying that God made an error and that he writes scary stuff and that he writes other things that you don't want to read. And now you're practicing Phariseeism and you have decided that the sovereignty of God does not come close to what you are. Let me tell you and caution you, brothers and sisters, if you are of that ilk, you are very much in trouble and you need to repent from that. Why do I say it that way? Because there was another individual and had a whole bunch of followers and they got kicked out of heaven. And Jesus tells us in the book of Luke, I saw Satan fall from heaven as lightning. That individual decided that his sovereignty was greater than God's or that he could be equal to God. So you tell others that you, oh, I don't read that book. That's just too doom and gloom. So now you're telling me that God wrote things that you have decided that you don't want to read. Hmm, interesting. So if you had an instruction manual on how to rebuild your car and you didn't want to take it to the shop and you decided you wanted to do it yourself, you take it in the garage and you're not really sure, so you get a manual that tells you how to do that particular car. And I've done this sort of thing before. You need to read the whole manual. You can't, you can't make certain portions of that manual exempt from your reading because you decide that it uh, looks like it's too much effort. So you're not going to read that part and you're going to kind of skip over. And then you go to get to working on a car and then you find that, oh, goodness gracious, I should have read that. I know that's kind of a simplified analogy, but it's the same thing. This Bible that God wrote, author, finished, this is our guidebook. It is our roadmap. It is our instruction menu. You hear me use those three terms for the Bible often, and it's true. It's a guidebook. It guides us through certain circumstances and things. It's a roadmap. You can look at it and see the direction you're supposed to go. It's our instruction manual. It tells you what to do in certain situations with things. And John tells us all the time, try the spirit in all things. First John 4. In everything that we do, we try the spirit. So rather than doing that, these individuals have decided that they're going to take it upon themselves not to read the book of Revelation because it's too doom and gloom. Well, excuse me. I've also shared this with you before, that there are some Bibles and translations, when you go back to the book of Revelation, they think it's all about the, the doom and gloom, destruction, and this and that and the other thing. Well, yeah, it is. However, underneath the title, Revelation of Jesus Christ, it talks about the second coming of our Lord, which he has promised to do. It told us that in, in the earlier Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John talks about it. Peter talks about it. Paul talks about it. In the book of Revelation, John was on the island of Patmos, supposedly by himself, 
was out there. It was kind of a prison island, and he had to be out there. Because they couldn't kill the guy. I mean, they tried to boil him. They tried to hang him. They tried to crucify him. Nothing that they tried to do to this man would take hold. Nothing happened. So they said, okay, we're not going to try to kill him anymore. <coughs> Pardon me, because that's obviously not working. So we're going to put him out there on this island until he just withers away like a dry leaf. The only thing of it is that Jesus came to visit, angels came to visit, and ministered to him. They comforted him, and Jesus had work for him to do, and he did. He wrote letters to the churches, the angels of the churches, the pastors of the churches, to receive those letters, and they were to read those to their congregation, instructed by the Lord to do so. And there were only two of the seven churches that God did not have an issue with because they were doing what they were supposed to do. The other churches, he commended them. He said, but I have somewhat ought with you, which means he had, he had a bone to pick. He had something to tell them. But brothers and sisters, you have to do this. And the, and the reason I, I brought this up is because this is what the book of Ezekiel is talking about in 34. Now, Ezekiel is a very powerful prophet of God, and he he tended to lean into God. I used a term, uh, I believe it was uh, yesterday, once or twice. Man, I'm looking at my notes. The Holy Spirit had me writing a lot of stuff down uh, yesterday. I think I shared with you, this is not a bragging um, by any means at all. I just started, I my eyes are, are um uh, getting a little fuzzier so I had to get a larger print Bible which the Lord helped me find a really good Bible and uh, so I was starting to transcribe notes and things because I tend to do that in my Bible and um, I sat down with God and the Holy Spirit and we just started going to town and when I got when I looked at the clock later God and this is what I'm telling you that God has the ability to bend time he can bend time. He does it. He's done it for me when I was still driving the mass transit vehicle. Of course, the bosses probably will think I'm a little nutso and they wouldn't want to hear it then, so I didn't share with them then. But I tried to spirit about that and thought, well, should I? And I didn't. But everything was fine. There was no speeding involved. There was no... In, but time just seemed to be altered. And, and I was actually back where my starting point was, but I was dealing with the word of God. I was doing what the Holy Spirit told me that I should do. When the Holy Spirit speaks to you, you need to pay attention and listen and don't try to push it off and shove it off as just a wild notion. If it if it's feels very direct and it's a direct communication, you need to heed that word. Don't quench the spirit by deciding that you're not going to do it then because you don't have time or you think it was something else. Do not push that aside. And if you need to, then you try the spirit. You talk directly to the Holy Spirit. You talk to God directly and you ask him, say, show me this is what I'm supposed to do, what you want me to do. And John writes about that, tells us to try that spirit. Okay, back to Ezekiel 34. Don't want to get too far away from that because this is a 
if you turn to Ezekiel 34 and you pay attention to some of these, I'm going to kind of skip through this because I it's kind of a long read. I, I no, You know what? I'm not going to skip through it. Holy Spirit just told me not to do that, so I'm not going to. But um, he'll bend time. He'll fix it. Uh, Ezekiel and 34. And this is, if you pay attention to this, you can find this also in John 10, when Jesus is talking about the good shepherd. And in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And remember that when you read references to shepherds in the Bible, there's a lot of analogy that's used, metaphors and things that are used in the Bible, and you have to pay attention. And this is why you need the guidance of the Holy Spirit, okay? A lot of people get this so confused, and they think that they're talking about specifically when Ezekiel went to the Valley of the Dry Bones, that he went out and he saw all these dry bones out there, and that has to do with the nation. And this has to do with what we do when we're not following the word of God and we just, we become a heap of dry bones. We just don't have it in us. So, in 34, Ezekiel. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds. Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Ye eat the fat, and ye clothe you with the wool. Ye kill them that are fed, but ye feed not the flock. What's he talking about? Well, let's unconfuse folks, because he's not talking about sheep. He's talking about people. He's talking about these shepherds. He's talking about these uh, televangelists that get on there. And I shared already one that decided that his ministry, anyone speaks negatively against his ministry he's going to call down a curse from heaven and they're going to be punished for it well it doesn't work that way because first of all it's not his ministry it's a ministry of god and he is to be sharing the word of god he is to be led by the holy spirit from god and not declaring it his ministry because there is not a minister or a pastor, a shepherd, an angel, whatever terminology you want to use for these individuals on this planet or any elder of a church or anyone else that's going to tell you, first of all, they cannot tell you how to worship God. They're not going to tell you that you can't share the word of God. And they don't tell you that they are going to save people. You just bring people to church and that they're going to bring them up and they'll be, they'll save them, they'll pray over them, and they'll be saved. It doesn't work that way. The only thing that any of us can do, and that includes the, the lead pastor of a church, the lead angel, whatever you want to call him. He didn't save anybody. He sows the seed the same as anyone else. He might have a little bit more education. He might have been in the word of God longer than somebody else. And so he is, uh, they decide to make him a pastor or the shepherd or the angel, whatever terminology you want to use. And so they do. And that's what he does. And if he's really good, like I shared with you, I, I love I love ours. He's not perfect, but he's a really good man. 
and he loves people. He loves the word of God and he gets really excited about it. He gets very animated about it, but not in any kind of way, shape or form, a disrespectful way. And he speaks truth. He's not arrogant. They both have PhDs, but he's not arrogant about it. And when he's introduced, they introduce him as doctor. But he doesn't harp on that. And there are those that come around that, that do. They remind you in their conversation when you call them by their first name or, uh, you know, Mr. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's doctor. It's doctor. I'm doctor such and such. I'm doctor so and so. And it's like, oh, okay. Well, those, that should be a word of caution for you. And you should be a little cautious with them. And then if you listen to conversation long enough, and it's really not a conversation because it's not a two-way street. It's very much um, demonstrative of all those things that they know and you don't know. And they really enjoy doing that. Well, my our lead pastor at our church, he doesn't do that. His wife doesn't do that. They're very charismatic, loving, gracious people, and they don't, they don't harp on that. Let me share this with you as well. And one thing I learned about, not only biblically speaking, but I also learned this out in the, in the, um, in the workforce. I think I might have shared this some years ago. Um, I had an opportunity and I knew I had field knowledge. I had actual hands-on practice and knowledge for this particular job. And the man who was in charge of the hiring for that section wanted to fire his seven engineers that he had because he had to hire them because the way that they decided that they wanted to do things. He wanted to fire them and bring me in and hire me the way that the company hired him originally and that I would be their boss, working directly for him and answering directly to him who he then directly answered to someone, somebody else. But he apologized heartedly because he couldn't do that. They wouldn't allow it. Well, here's the thing. It happens that same way here. These theological wizards, as I tend to call them, they have book knowledge, but they have no practical knowledge. If you find out really about them, they have never preached. They've never been on the stage. They've never been behind. Uh, they never stood at a podium. They've never been behind the dais. Um, they just went to school and they have a lot of book smarts. That's all it means is they got a lot of book smarts. And when they try to apply it or they try to answer questions, they can't. Anyway, those are supposed to be the shepherds. And this is why Jesus talks about the hirelings, because they're not the shepherd. They were hired to take care of the flock and that they don't really care about the flock the way the shepherd would. And that they're actually a detriment and a danger to the flock because sometimes the flock gets harmed because of these individuals, these fools, we'll call them. They don't pay attention to the book of Proverbs. They lean totally on their own understanding and they think that nobody can tell them anything. So further reading. The diseased have ye not strengthened, neither have ye healed that which was sick, neither have ye bound up that which was broken, Neither have you brought again that which was driven away. Neither have you sought that which was lost. But with force and with cruelty have he ruled them. And they were scattered because there is no shepherd. 
and they became meat to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and upon every hill. Yea, my flock was scattered upon all the face of the earth, and none did search or seek after them. They just didn't care. They were a hireling shepherd. They didn't care. My sheep wandered through all the mountains, and upon every hill, yea, my flock was scattered upon all the face of the earth, and none did search or seek after them. Therefore, ye shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, saith the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey and my flock became meat to every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, neither did my shepherds search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and fed not my flock. Therefore, O ye shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand and cause them to cease from feeding the flock. Neither shall the shepherds feed themselves any more, for I will deliver my flock from their mouth, that they may not be meat for them. For thus saith the Lord God, behold, I even, I will both search my sheep and seek them out. Let you gnaw on that for a time. Remember what Jesus said, that the good shepherd will go and search for the one and leave the 99? These individuals don't, and God's pretty angry. Ezekiel's a powerful prophet of God. And when God tells him to go, he goes and he tells them. They don't like to hear from Ezekiel because they know that when they hear from Ezekiel, and they're getting ready to be blasted. Sounds like he's there now. Remember that I have to, I want to reemphasize this, that a prophet, anyone can prophesy. A prophet listens to the direct word of God and delivers that word directly from God because he's got a specific message to say. And it doesn't always have something to do with foretelling the future, reading the future. <coughs> Pardon me. So that definition that people have, a fortune teller, they like to call them. Oh, they prophesy the future, they read the future. Well, prophets don't do that all the time. There are some that do, and if God has a, has a message for them to do so, they will. But a prophet is one that gives themselves to God totally, completely, and what he and he speaks to them directly. He's got a reason that he has me sharing this. I've shared with you already that you have those televangelists that make money on their flock. I went to a church, I didn't try the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gave me the ear flick and said, are you listening now? Yes, I am. Forgive me. And they are talking about money. They are money grubbers. They're thieves. And they like to flaunt what they have or what they have gotten. They have entourage that follows them around. They have a driver that drives them to and from church. I mean, come on. Yeah, God wants you to prosper. He wants you to be, but you must do it according to his word and his will. If you're doing it contrary to any of that, then you are in this, what Ezekiel's talking about.
Further in verse 11, For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I even I will both search my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day that he is among his sheep that are scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and the dark day. And I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land and feed them upon the mountains of Israel by the rivers and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in a good pasture, and upon the high mountains of Israel shall their fold be. There shall they lie in a good fold, and in a fat pasture shall they feed upon the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord God. Now you go to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Sounds familiar? Go to Psalm 23 and read it. He's talking about this thing. Now, specifically, Ezekiel is told to go and prophesy to the nation of Israel. But this goes for anyone. Any name. Look what's going on in this country, in our own country. Many of the nations around the world. Look at what's going on in what they call Russia now. They, I guess I'm not even sure what they call it now. It used to be called the United Soviet Socialist Republic, Communist Russia. That was supposed to be so great and good. And how they just want to war and take over everything. And they do the same thing there. They're doing the same thing in this. They don't really care about the people. They, I shared with you in Russia, they went over there and they had people that were checking on them. And they were in the bread line and they were walking away. And when they examined the food that they were given, the stuff was moldy. And they'd been in, the, in there for days and people were coming. And they were finding people that were dying in that line. They were dead lying dead on the sidewalk. And when they were examined, they were found that they had been eating their shoe leather and pieces of their clothing so that they weren't, because they were starving to death. <clears throat> Pardon me. And the food that was given to them was moldy and rotten. But yet those that were up there in the high house, <clears throat> pardon me, they were clothed and they were eating. Take a look around this country and you have those, you have those heathen liars that's, oh, we're in this together. We'll stand in this. We're in this together. Well, wait a second. You have security gates. You have entourage that parade around your house and keep you under lock and key and guard. And you have these great suits and you have these freezers that you have installed in your summer villa out in wine country valleys. And they're stocked with specialty foods and ice creams and desserts. And you have people that are starving to death. And how are you in it with them? And how are you taking care of them? How are you taking care of the flock? How are you protecting them? How are you How are you looking for the ones that need help and taking care of them and giving them help? Instead, when you're asked to do so, you retreat to your hiding place. This is what God's talking about here and why Ezekiel was sent to prophesy to the nation of Israel. Because these individuals had put themselves up in their high house. They didn't go out and help the people. They didn't take care of the people that were in need. They weren't teaching them anything good and right. They were taking from them. This is why Jesus ran out the money changers. They were stealing from not only from God and stealing from the church coffers so that the church was not able to take care of what they were supposed to, but they were stealing from the people and they were charging them an exchange rate, an excise tax, if you will, for what they brought to take into the temple. They were charged a certain tax on that. What? 
and made Jesus angry. You have the house of God is supposed to be the house of prayer and you have turned it into a den of thieves. And then he, he took these cords and he put knots in them and he chased them out like you would chase a camel or an ass or a sheep. And he scourged them out of the temple and ran them off, turned their tables over. The coin and everything was scattered everywhere. Then the poor people got what they, what they needed, took what they needed. Jesus didn't stop them. Can imagine what that was. And so you had the elders of the church were profiting. You had the money changers that were profiting. They were stealing from the house of God and they were stealing from the people. And this is what Ezekiel's talking about here. What are the shepherds doing? They're not, they're eating that which the flock should be taking. They're eating and making themselves fat. They're not taking care of any of the needy people. Well, you look around and see what happens in most of these nations. And then you have those young individuals that are declaring that, oh, we'll be like them because they take care of everybody. That's what it means to be in that country. That's what it means to be that way. Well, no, that's not what that means. It's not what that means at all. If you look and you see historically these places where they try to get us to copy their stamp, oh my goodness, doesn't mean that at all. Further reading of verse 16, I will seek that which was lost and bring again that which was driven away and will blind, bind up that which was broken and will strengthen that which was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong. I will feed them with my judgment. You want to steal from my children? You want to steal from those that are in need? You want to steal from them? Yeah. Here's something to eat. My judgment. My righteous judgment shall you feed upon and you shall not withstand and you will not like the sucker of this meat. To your tongue it might taste rancid and so it shall be. And as for you, O my flock, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I judge between cattle and cattle, between the rams and the goat and he goats. Seemeth that a small thing unto you to have eaten up the good pasture, but you must read down with your heart, tread down with your heart and with your feet, that residue of your pastures. And to have drunk of the deep waters, but you must foul the residue with your feet. But you must foul the residue with your feet. And as for my flock, they that eat that which have which ye have trodden with your feet, and they drink that which ye have fouled with your feet. Therefore thus saith the Lord God unto them, Behold, I even I will judge between the fat cattle and between the lean cattle. Now what's he saying? Not only are those that were supposed to be leading, but you have those that are supposed to be guiding. Um, that would be the elders of a church. Those would be the ones that are in and amongst them that take their cut and their profit. And then they want to tell everyone how they're supposed to worship and how they're supposed to do, and you can't do this and you can't do that. Well, God's got judgment for that as well. Because ye have, uh, further reading verse 29, because ye have thrust with side and with shoulder and pushed all the disease with your horns till I have scattered them abroad. Therefore will I save my flock and they shall no more be a prey. And I will judge between cattle and cattle. And I will set up one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, even my servant David. He shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken it. 
and I will make them a covenant of peace and will cause the evil beasts to cease out of the land and they shall dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places round about my hill a blessing and I will cause a shower to come down from his season. There shall be showers of blessing and the tree of the field shall yield her fruit and the earth shall yield her increase and they shall be safe in their land and shall know that I am the Lord. When I have broken the bands of their yoke and delivered them out of the hand of those that served themselves of them, and they shall no more be a prey to the heathen, neither shall the beasts of the land devour them, but they shall dwell safely, and none shall make them afraid. And I will raise up for them a plant of renown, and they shall be no more consumed with hunger in the land, neither bear the shame of the heathen any more. Thus shall they know that I am the Lord their God, am with them, and that they, even the house of Israel, are my people, saith the Lord God. And ye, my flock, the flock of my pasture, are men, and I am your God, saith the Lord God. Pardon me for just one moment. The devil is really trying to keep me from sharing with y'all, but guess what? That's not working. Not gonna work because I just rebuke that. I share that with you, and the Holy Spirit brings that to me. I had, I was telling you, I shared with you, I just, I almost want to explode because of this, and, and like I, I shared before, it's not anything, I'm not bragging about this, this is glorifying the Lord. I mean, I, I sat down to take note in this, and uh, when I looked up at the clock in the corner here on my, I don't know if any of you have an iPad or whatever, and um, but I have this so I can do and type on it quicker, and I have fat finger syndrome, so I have an issue with a, a little cell phone. But anyway, I do this. And I looked up at the clock. There's a little tiny clock on the corner. I wasn't even paying attention to it. And I didn't feel it. But this is, uh, and God has bent time with me before. And he does. He has a, that ability, and he does it sometimes. It may be for a purpose that he has intended. So I sat down to transcribe and take all these notes and, and the Holy Spirit had been taking me through all these places. This is one of them. Um, and he took me here. Now I see for a very specific purpose. And he had me turn to that page. I was going to go a different direction and he took me right there. Um, but all these notes and everything that I jotted down and I was writing down script, I got a whole list of scriptures. I have to try to go in and decipher these. He'll lead me through it. But... Um, when I looked up at the clock, I'd been sitting at my desk for nine and a half hours. Nine and a half hours I had been sitting here studying the Bible, transcribing notes, taking notes, writing scriptures down, and showing me things that I hadn't seen before or I don't, didn't recognize. But it all tied in with what our uh, executive pastor was talking about. And he delivered the message, really great message. I, I like his speaking. He's an emotional kind of guy, too, I notice. Um, but he was talking about campfires, and he was talking about the heat being drawn in and how sometimes you're mesmerized with that. And God is very much that way, his love. You can feel that warmth and everything. And I've shared with you when I'm practicing his presence, and I invite him in, and he comes in here, and then he takes his arms and he puts them around me. It just makes me leak all over the place. I do. I mean, he, he hugged me, and I can feel it. I can feel he's with me now, and he hasn't grabbed on yet. He's going to get ready to. And it just makes me weep. 
but weep in happiness and joy. And, and I'm not, again, I'm not sharing this nine and a half hour thing because, oh, wow, a boy, man, that was great. It isn't like that. I didn't even know it was happening. I didn't feel it. I didn't sense it. And I happened to glance up because I noticed that my note-taking and everything that I was writing down and what I was reading in the Bible was starting to, to taper. And it's, uh, I'm done now. And, and just sort of eased back. So I'm, I'm okay. That was really, man, that was great. It was powerful. I was still, I was reeling with a sense of emotion and uh, what was taking place because God was making his presence known to me in that way and the Holy Spirit in his way. And then I looked at that clock up there in the corner, nine and a half hours. I didn't feel it. I didn't sense it. I'd, I didn't get hungry. I didn't miss anything. I was getting fed. I was eating from the bread of life. It was like I had my, it was as if I had that plate was right there and I was eating. I was being fed. I didn't get tired and I didn't feel discomfort. There are certain things that have taken place with my body physically and aging and, and uh, things that go on and medications that I take. Guidance from God to the right thing. Um, but I didn't feel any of that discomfort for that length of time. I, I, I didn't. All I did was I felt really great because God was there. That was so awesome. Um, but in what Micah was sharing is talking about that fire, that campfire, you're just sort of mesmerized and you're, you're, you're caught sometimes if you go out there. And I've gone out there in the wilderness and gone camping plenty of times. And you do, you just sort of get mesmerized. You watch the flames dancing and the change of colors, depending on what kind of wood you put in and, and how much sap they have in there or what kind of oils are in the sap. And it'll change colors and it dances and you get mesmerized and you feel the warmth. Well, God's love is very much that way. It's a mesmerizing thing. When you meditate in God, you just think about God repeatedly you say his name silently you don't have to say it out loud if you feel comfortable enough that you want to then you do so but you just think about God Abba Yahweh Abba Yahweh Yeshua Paracletos Father, Son and Holy Ghost and he's there and it is mesmerizing and he shares with you and you feel that warmth. But in talking about that, it was talking about waiting on the Lord. And we see that in Isaiah, and this is probably the most remembered and most uh, common scripture that is shared in Isaiah. Uh, make sure I get the right spot. But Isaiah talks about you mount up on wings as eagles. This is in 40, 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. 
and they shall walk and not faint. So that's the most remembered and I think probably the most commonly used. But the Holy Spirit was taking me through Psalms. Taking me through the Psalms. And the book of Psalms is a collection of David's poems and songs. And I didn't count them all. Um, do it kind of quick right now. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. Seventeen different scriptures all through the book of Psalm. And uh, the first one I found was in 25. One through three. Then you got Psalm 40, Psalm 27, Psalm 34, Psalm 42, Psalm 60, Psalm 46, Psalm 62. Going through the book of Psalms, they are all talking about waiting on the Lord. Now, some say, well, what does that mean? What does it mean? Well, that means that you take time you make time to spend time with God and he will take time to spend with you. He will abide with you, waiting on the Lord. And sometimes you will just be at your desk or in your room and you take quiet time away from everything else. And you don't even have to go sequester yourself anywhere. You can, you can do it just... Find and set aside time for God. And God shares, and he does, that he will take time for those that make time. And as the scripture I found yesterday, that he will incline himself to you. Well, much as you can guess from that word incline, a client, an incline is a slant. Or as described as a tilt from the vertical. And God will incline himself to you. He will lean in to hear what you're sharing with him or he'll lean in toward you. As John the Beloved did, he was inclining toward Jesus because he loved the Lord. He loved what Jesus was saying all the time, all things that Jesus said. Mary sat at Jesus' feet and inclined herself toward him. And Martha came and was so agitated. Martha, 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 why trouble yourself about those things that are going to be here? Mary has sought that thing which is better for her heart. She's thought those things that are good. And I'm not going to take that away from her. I'm not going to make her or tell her that she needs to come and help you because you're agitated about it. And you think that she needs to be in there doing what you want her to do. She wants to be listening to that good thing. She wants to be fed by truth. Brothers and sisters, God will incline himself toward us. He will lean into us. If we make the time for God and incline ourselves to him, lean in to listen to what he has to say. Remember, he speaks to us in many times a still small voice. So we have to kind of lean in a little bit and listen. 
don't be fooled by the white noise out there because Satan brings that really loud and raucous and interfering, and he does have to draw our attention to confuse us. And remember this, God tells us, I am your best friend as well as your king. <coughs> Pardon me, I'm sorry. He says, come walk with me. Come walk with me through life. I'll go, I'll go that route with you. And there were many places that God tells us in the Bible, and he reminds us, and I think probably one of my favorite, I think, uh, let me go and find this right quick here, is uh, with Enoch. Enoch, in the book of Genesis, talks about, I believe it's in Genesis 3. I'm trying to get there, I'm sorry. Uh, no, I guess I'm mistaken, I'm sorry. Um... It was the, oh, here we go. It was uh, in Genesis 5. I apologize. Enoch is in the lineage from Adam. Of course, they're going through some of the lineage and all this stuff. <clears throat> and I'm going to read um, Genesis 5.21. Just read, read this right quick. And Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and begat Methuselah. Uh, if you remember that, if you're a Bible reader and you've heard this story before, that Methuselah was the oldest living man recorded in biblical history. 900 and some years old, I think. 969 years old, and then he died. And you go through the Bible and you'll find these people that lived around away, and then it's, and then they died, and then they were buried with their fathers, and then they, then they passed, then they died, and things like that. But here, Enoch is special. And Enoch lived 60 and five years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years. 365 years that he walked and talked with God and God shared time with him and he liked Methuselah, uh, Enoch. Enoch was God's friend. Enoch was God's friend. God was Enoch's friend. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Doesn't say anything about him dying. And you're going to see pretty much that that's the only time you see that. God took him. They were walking and talking. And I can almost imagine God's walking in there sharing time and things together. Much like God did with Adam and Eve when he used to walk in the cool of the garden with them. And then they, of course, they fell and they made a shambles of all of that, which is why we're in the position we're in now. Listening to the devil. But he used to walk with them in the cool of the evening. Brothers and sisters, make time God will take time to incline himself toward you. He will indeed. I've seen it too many times. It is some of that that I share with you, that empirical evidence I share with you and I've told you about that is so blatantly obvious that it cannot be denied. And he is there. And he is indeed our best friend. 
And he tells us that together we will face whatever the day brings, whether it's pleasures or hardships or just an adventure. If you seek him in all things that you do and you talk to him, you pray with him, and you just abide with him. Remember that word is important. Abide doesn't mean that you just go and you hang out a minute and say, hey, God, how you doing? Got to go. I got work to do. And then off you go. <clears throat> Abiding means that you stay and spend time. You exchange. You have conversation. Conversation is a two-way exchange. You say something and you hear God. God says something and he waits and then you pray and you talk back to him. I sit here at my desk and well, as I look over right now, my service dogs are both kind of crashed out, but that's okay. Um, but they hear me talk to God all the time. And you know what? I don't care. I really don't. And even if people are around and sometimes I'm talking to God, but here's the thing, that people want to become so judgmental. I've shared this with you before. People want to judge individuals. They see them out and they look like they're not talking to anybody or that they can see that nobody is there. Well, how do you know? How do you know that they're not seeing someone? And how do you know that they're not hearing God's talk to them? Who are you to judge them? You have no right to do so. God tells it. And it also tells us and reminds us in the scripture, be careful when you tend to strangers. For you know not when you may be entertaining angels. God does have angels come and check on us and take care of us. And you don't know when that's gonna happen. So you should be cautious. When you decide that you wanna be agitated, you think that these people are weirdos, you never know, you never know. And he reminds us that we have no wasted time. And these individuals that talk about, I don't have time. I don't have time. I got to go do this. I got to go do that. I got to get in the shower and get to work. I have to get to work. Okay, now you've decided that you've made your job an idol. And then it's more important than spending anything with God. Remember, I've shared this and I will share it again. God bends time. When you follow the Holy Spirit and tells and it tells you that you do something specific and you follow his commandment, he will make time work. He will bend it. He will, that means altering it. It's done. I've, when I was still driving mass transit, I did what the Holy Spirit told me to do. And this young man needed to hear the word of God. So I shared it. And when I left that point and went around, I came back, I was ahead of schedule. I didn't run any lights. I didn't, I did, I did what I normally do. Safe, clear, concise operation, did everything the way I was supposed to, went to the stops I was supposed to, did everything I was supposed to do. And yet when I came back, I was, I was on schedule, time point there. And I had a time point that I could spend time, step out and walk around like I usually did. It was fine. And I was leaving quite late actually. We had been talking about God and sharing and I, glanced at my watch and said, oh, we, we, we need to go. We really need to go. Father, I'm sorry. And, but we were actually done. He goes, man, I just needed to hear that so much. And now, now I know how to answer my girlfriend 
because he was concerned about her and making sure to tell her the right thing that he wanted to get the right thing. And here's something in further in my reading. I love this. It says, I can bring beauty out of the ashes of lost dreams. So if you lose time and you think that it's all destructive, oh, now what am I going to do? Boy, I made a shambles of that. God can fix it. He can fix it. And I like what he says here. Peace out of adversity that only a friend who is also the king of kings, could accomplish the divine alchemy. I like that saying. An alchemist, a, a chemist. Alchemists are trying to make gold out of different metals. And there's uh, formulas and all this stuff they did, but only a friend who is a king of kings could accomplish the divine alchemy, that he can take the ashes and make something beautiful. You can take all the brokenness and all these things that go on around and make it beautiful. And remember what the scriptures tells us, all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. And God offers a friendship. We just have to take time to stay conscious of God, practice his presence. And Jesus shared with us and John 15, 13 through 15, he reminds us that no man has no greater love than he laid down his life for his friends. Jesus called us his friends and he died for us. He saw me from way back there. And he said, that man is my friend. I'm gonna go die for him. Yes, I make it a personal relationship. Jesus is my king. He came and he died for me. The Bible tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But I take it more personal. For God so loved me that Jesus came and he died for me. He saw me from way back there. Make it personal, brothers and sisters. Don't make it something that you're schooled at. Make it personal. God wants a personal relationship with us. He seeks that from us, so seek it from him. And remember, oh, I love this. I I kind of went over this. Isaiah, actually, 61.3, he talks about it. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. When God clothes us in the robe of his righteousness, we look really good. Better than that downtrodden attitude that many of us carry around when we go to church. Slumped shoulders, shuffling the feet, looking at the ground, don't look at each other. Remember, I shared that with you before. Why are you even here? If you, if you portray that out to everyone, why are you even here? You don't want to come. You don't want to praise God. You don't want to worship God. And you don't hardly interact with anyone. You keep your hands shoved in your pocket. You don't shake hands with anyone. You don't. And when you sit next to your family, you don't raise your hand and praise and worship. You either keep your hands in your pockets or you keep your hands clamped to the seat in front of you. 
and you don't look or share anything with anybody. You don't even look like you're enjoying being in the house of God. So why are you there? But you know, I pray for you. I pray for you. And this is me. Paul talking about me here. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing and yet possessing everything. I have everything I need. God provides for me. I'm homesick. But I rejoice in the Lord and the things that he gives me. So why, why pretend to be what you're not? It seems to me like you want somebody to come and say, Oh... Poor thing, we'll, we'll take care of it. We'll, we'll pray for you. And all. You know, yeah, there are some things. But I don't even ask people anything anymore. Because I get the response with, oh, that's all you ask for, huh? Just because you want this or you want that. or eh, No, it isn't exactly that way. But that's okay. You judge. But you got to let that go. Go to God. Go to where you need to be. Because you're going to be disappointed by anything else. It doesn't matter who they are. If they come on this plane of existence, you'll definitely be disappointed. Brothers and sisters, I pray for you. I'm going out, I'm coming in every day. Be blessed.